Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts, the 8th chapter. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 8, go one book over toward the end of your Bible to the book of Romans and put your finger there in Romans chapter 6. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 8 and Romans chapter 6 this morning. As you're turning there, let me say that today we are talking about baptism. As I study scripture, there are two forms of baptism I find in scripture, the baptism of the spirit and then the baptism of the water. We need to understand that these are two completely and separate different things. The baptism of the spirit takes place when you pray and receive Jesus Christ into your life. When you pray and receive Christ, the Bible says that you are baptized with the spirit of God. In Luke chapter 3 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, uh, we were all baptized into one body in Christ. In Luke chapter 3, we find John the Baptist saying that I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. And you see, when you pray and receive Jesus Christ into your life, the Spirit of God comes and baptizes you with the Spirit of God. Now, that's a message in and of itself, and we'll talk about that in in the weeks to come, what it means to be baptized with the Spirit. But today, we're going to focus our attention and our teaching today, this morning, is going to be not on the baptism of the Spirit, but the water baptism. You see, yes, the Bible is very plain and very clear that there is a spiritual baptism, that when you pray and receive Christ, when you're regenerated, the Spirit of God comes and and lives inside of you. We often say it to little children, ask Jesus to come into your heart. What that literally means is the Spirit of God comes and baptizes you in the Spirit and you are saved. But the other baptism is the water baptism. We're going to talk about that today. Acts chapter 8, and we'll begin reading in verse number 26. You know this story? It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up, come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that this Ethiopian was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before a shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture, and he told them all of the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. Now turn over to Romans chapter 6, and as you turn over to Romans chapter 6, let's play this story in our mind. Here's an African man, a, a man from Ethiopia, 
a Jewish man, a man who had come more than likely to celebrate the Passover, what we call as Easter today as Christians, but went to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. He stayed there for the celebration of Pentecost, and now he's headed back to his homeland in Africa, and on his way, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. He doesn't know what he's reading, but the Bible says that he's worshiping. Verse 27 says that he is worshiping God and he's praising God and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Bible says that he sent a man by the name of Philip in his way. And now Philip opened the Bible. He began to share with him that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the things that he is reading. The, the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved, baptized in the spirit. And they went a little bit ways more and they looked down and there was some water. And the eunuch said, well, I've been baptized with the spirit. I've been saved. So what now prevents me from being baptized in this water? Let's see how Paul writes it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The statement that we're going to see Echo through the teaching today is this. Baptism is by immersion only for believers only. We're going to see that time and time and time again as we open God's word, as we thumb through his pages, you're going to find that baptism, without question, water baptism is by immersion only for believers only. Now I know what some of you are sitting here thinking. You bunch of Baptists, you're all the same. You're all the same when you're talking about baptism. And indeed, we, we believe in the importance of baptism. Baptism as a testimony of our faith in Christ. But let me tell you, I'm not standing up here teaching you the Baptist way. I'm not concerned with what Baptists think. I want us to search the scripture and allow God's word to tell us what baptism means. So what does the Bible teach? Today we're going to come together around God's word as a family. And we're going to open the page and allow God's word to speak to us about this doctrine, about this ordinance of baptism. Next week, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're in our followers series talking about connecting. Today, we are celebrating baptism. That's the ordinance given by Christ himself to the church to do. The other ordinance that we are commanded to do as a church is the Lord's Supper communion. And just as there are many different understandings of Lord's Supper there's many different understandings and theologies of the communion and mass or, or whatever you may have learned to call it. Just as there's many different teachings on that, there are many different teachings and understandings about baptism. Notice this, that Jesus' ministry, how did his ministry start? His ministry started with baptism, didn't it? His ministry began with his baptism. And then when Jesus was concluding his ministry, what were the last words he said? What was the great commission? He said, I, I want you to go, therefore, into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we follow his example at the beginning of his ministry. And then we follow his command at the end of his ministry. Jesus started with baptism. And then he concluded with baptism. The two book ends of his ministry were baptism and baptism. So we never minimize this issue of baptism. Now it's my observance that just as there are many different understandings of the Lord's Supper, there are 
many different understandings about baptism. Today, I want to talk about two grave mistakes that people make when they talk about baptism. One error that is so often taught in churches is that unless you're baptized in water, you can't go to heaven. That's a mistake. In fact, I would say that's more than a mistake. That's actually a heresy. It's not biblical. You're adding something to salvation. Therefore, that makes it wrong. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whosoever shall call and be baptized will be saved. That's not what he said. He said, whosoever shall call, not maybe, not hope so, but shall be, will be saved. Now, the passage of scripture, I want you to take your Bible. We'll have it on the, the screen, Acts 2.38. If you want to get there, you can turn there. I want to teach you a passage and from a passage that many people who make this mistake, this is the verse they go to. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Let me help you to understand and to read this verse the way it should be read. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is coming on the heels of of the great sermon that Peter preached, this great Pentecost sermon where, where thousands of people were saved, and he's concluding his sermon with these words. He said, and Peter said, Repent then and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Notice, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you read that at first glance, it looks as if it says that you have to repent and be baptized in order to get forgiveness of sin, doesn't it? That's what it looks like. Now, let me give you two reasons why that is the wrong interpretation. First of all, you see that preposition for there. It says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for. You see that? For, that word for, that three-letter word in the Greek in the English language for, that preposition that we use so often. And you know, the, the English language is not a beautiful language at all, is it? We say, men, you say I love my wife, and then you say I love my dog, and you say I love my ego in the morning. We use that word love, and it, it, it goes from we love our wife to we love our ego. There, there's no in-between with that word love. The The English language is a very rugged language. It it doesn't express a lot of meaning. And when we see this word for here, we we often think in order to get, but that's not what that preposition means. Let me give you an example. The other day I, I looked at Sarah because I had a headache and I said, honey, I need some Advil for my headache. I need Advil for my headache. When I said I need Advil for my headache, was I saying I need Advil in order to get a headache? Well, no. I've got a headache. I I asked, I said, I I need Advil for my headache because I already have a headache, right? So the preposition for does not mean in order to get. It means because I've already got. Now, when you read this in the English, you can't see the way it's read in the Greek. The Greek, it does this. Plurals, when you add an S to the end of an English word, I know this is very deep and and we're going to move on in just a minute, but we need to cross this. We need to cross this. Because this is a grave heresy that many of, many of us in this room, we went to churches that taught that you have to be baptized to be saved, and this is completely wrong. Completely wrong. When you look at this verse, there, there's plurals and there's a singular word. Plurals, when you add an S to something, you make it plural. Ducks, churches, plural. 
Well, in here, you see the word repent, that's plural. You see the word baptize, that's singular. You see the word forgiveness and receive, those are plural. In the Greek, plurals go together, singulars go together. So the way it reads, if you were to actually read this, not the way the translator translated, but if you read it the way the Greek reads it, here's what it says. All of you repent so that all of your sins can be forgiven, so that you may all receive the Spirit of God, and then you go be baptized, singular. That's what it says. When you take the plurals and you put them together, you take the singulars and you put them together, it says that you all, all of us are sinners. We must repent of our sin. And when we repent of our sin, we ask for forgiveness of our sins. When we ask for forgiveness of our sins, he comes in, he fills us, he baptizes us with the Spirit of God. And oh, by the way, you need to go and be baptized by water. That's Acts 2.38. It's not that... We are saved and then we are baptized and baptism has some form or fashion. Baptism does not play any part of your salvation experience. None at all, period, none. When you go in the water and you come up out of the water, if you weren't saved before you went into the water, you ain't saved when you come up out of that water. Salvation is by grace through faith. I think of that thief that was on the cross. You see, when Jesus was crucified, he wasn't crucified alone, was he? The Bible says there were two other men, at least two other men there that day that were in the vicinity of Jesus to where they could yell and talk back and forth. And one of those men, they were hurling insults to Jesus. If you are who you say you are, if you are the the man, if you are the God man, the, the, the man that these people are saying you are, won't you help us out? He kept hurling insults at him. The other thief said, whoa, wait a minute. I believe that you are the son of God and will you forgive me of my sins? And what did Jesus say to him? Do you remember? Luke chapter 23, 43, he said, assuredly I say unto you this day, today you will be with me in paradise. Now think about that. Did they take that thief off the cross and baptize him before he went to heaven? Of course not. Of course not. That thief died the same day that Jesus died. And Jesus is no liar. Jesus said, today, today you will be with me in heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise. And church, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that any person can come to Christ anywhere, anytime, under any circumstance. Pray and receive Christ into their life. But on the other side of the coin... Just as there's the ditch and the heresy that says that baptism results in salvation, on the other side of the coin is those who say, well, if baptism doesn't make me saved, then baptism is not necessary for the Christian life. And that's just as big of a mistake as the other one. The clear teaching of God's word, go back to Acts 2.38. When we understand it in light of the way we should understand it, that repentance leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness leads to the gift of the Spirit. And then you are baptized. Baptism is important in the life of the believer. It's a testimony of the saving faith of Jesus Christ. So we don't get in the ditch on this side. We don't get in the ditch on this side. But we want to drive right down the road. We want to understand what does the Bible say about baptism. Not what is a bunch of men or what do churches teach me. What did I learn growing up. We want to open the Bible and allow the Bible to speak for itself today. Okay? So what's the teaching of the Bible on baptism? Number one. 
Number one, let's see the method of baptism. This is important. The method of baptism. How is a person baptized? Well, first of all, baptism requires water. Mark chapter 1, verse 8, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's John the Baptist. So in order to baptize, you have to have water. Okay, so we've got that. Baptism requires water. Well, how much water? It requires a lot of water. The Bible says, John 3, 23, Now John was baptized in Anan near Salem because there was what? Much water there. So not only does baptism require water, but it requires much water. But there's something more. According to Acts 8.38, the passage we read this morning, not only does it require water and much water, but it requires a going down into the water. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, it says that, so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he was baptized. So the way we understand this, this method of baptism, it requires water. It requires much water. It requires a going down into the water. But then it also requires a burial beneath the water. The other passage we read today, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death. It requires water, much water. It requires a going down into the water. It requires a burial beneath the water. And then, praise God, it requires a coming up out of the water. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, we're talking about Jesus' baptism. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately Jesus came up out of the water. And he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. So there it is. The method of baptism as it relates to Scripture requires water, requires a whole lot of water, requires a going down into the water, requires a burial beneath the water, requires a coming up out of the water. What kind of baptism is that? It's baptism by immersion. By immersion. The word baptism in the Greek, baptizo, literally means to immerse. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. It means to immerse from head to toe. You say, well, I was sprinkled as a child. Was I not baptized? Now hear me clearly, I am not here to denigrate anyone's religious experience at all. I'm not here to denigrate or to walk on the experience that you may have experienced in your past. But I'm simply asking the question and we're trying to answer the best way we can about baptism as the Bible understands it and the Bible teaches us. So we're not trying to teach you the Baptist way, we're trying to understand God's way and the Bible way. And God's way, the Bible way, is that immersion is the only way to be baptized. If you were sprinkled, you were not baptized. You know where sprinkling came from? Sprinkling was something that happened after the apostolic church. The apostles were preaching, and the Bible says every time somebody was saved, they were baptized by immersion following their salvation every time. In the book of Acts, that happens. Now, as the church began to grow, the church went out of Jerusalem where there's the land flowing with milk and honey. It went into Ephesus, it went into Colossae, it went into Thessalonica, it went into all of these countries. And then it began to go into Africa, into the desert region. And as the church began to go into the desert region, there's not a whole lot of water in the desert, is there? So out of necessity, listen to me, out of necessity, the church began to sprinkle converts. 
As the Roman Catholic Church began to grow and began to take on a lot of the other teachings, more so than what the apostles began to teach, but as the Roman Catholic Church began to, this, this, this big machine that began to grow and grow and grow, a pope came in who was from this area, and that's where the sprinkling came from. Lutherans, Methodists, it all springs out of this, not biblical, not the Bible way, but out of well, at one time in one area was out of necessity. Remember, baptism is a picture of salvation. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. If you change the method, you change the meaning. If you change the method, you change the meaning. Let me give you an example. If you say, Pastor, I, I would love to see a picture of your family. And I say, okay, I pull out my wallet and I show you a picture of my house. You say, What? I ask to see a picture of your family, and you show me a picture of your house, and I say, well, one picture is just as good as another, isn't it? And you say, well, no, that's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, Pastor. I ask to see a picture of your family. You show me a picture of your house. That's the way it is with baptism. When you change the picture, you change the meaning. When you change the method, you change the meaning. Baptism. A going down into the water, a coming up out of the water is a picture. The meaning, let's look at the meaning of baptism, shall we? <clears throat> what does the Bible say about the meaning of baptism? Throughout the New Testament, as you read it, especially in the book of Acts, every time a person is saved, they were always immediately baptized in water. We see baptism as a seal of commitment, a seal of commitment. Baptism is an external expression of the internal experience. What has happened on the inside, salvation, I expose and I share on the external, which is through baptism. I wear on my hand a wedding ring. I have gained a lot of weight since I put this ring on the first time, so I cannot take this ring off. But only by the grace of God, if I were able to pull this thing off, would I still be married? Well, of course. This ring doesn't make me married, just like baptism doesn't make you saved. But what this ring does is it symbolizes it, doesn't it? It symbolizes the inward love. What this ring does is it says that I love my wife more than any other human being on the face of this earth. What this ring symbolizes is that I am committed to her under God, committed to her in marriage, a covenant given by God. That's what this ring says. And in, it's telling about that which is inward, the love that I have for my wife on the inside. You can't see my heart, can you? You can't see my heart. You can't see my heart. When I say I love my wife, you can't see that love. But what this ring does is it symbolizes. It shows everybody out here that what's already taking place on the inside. That's what baptism does. Nobody can see whether or not you've accepted Christ into your life. But once you have received Jesus, once you've been baptized by the Spirit, you put the ring on. You're baptized. You're saying to the whole world, I am a Christian. I am not ashamed of Jesus. I love him. And the expression of my love, the expression of my commitment to Jesus Christ is my baptism. Number two. It's a sign of obedience. Not only is it a seal of commitment, but it's a sign of obedience. Every Christian should obey Jesus in all things, shouldn't we? It's hard to do, though, isn't it? So often I find myself like Paul. The things that I know I should be doing, I don't do. The things I don't do, I know I should be doing. 
And that's the story of the Christian life, isn't it? There's no one perfect. There's no one who can get it to the nth degree. There's no one who can do every single thing the way Jesus did. But did you know that there is something that Jesus did that you can do exactly the same way? No, it's not walking on water. Don't try it either. Especially in Lake Jessup where I hear there's a bunch of alligators. Don't try to walk on water there. While you may not be able to walk on water, you may not be able to spit in mud and put it on people's eyes and help them to see. You can do something the exact same way Jesus did. You know what it is? Baptism. The same way. Jesus was baptized and you can follow in his example. You can follow in the exact example, the exact footsteps of Jesus Christ and be baptized the same way that he was. Sign of obedience. You're being obedient to Christ. As we said, not only did he start his ministry with baptism, him personally being baptized, but when he left, he said, I want you to go. It was a command, not, a, not, not if you want to, not maybe so, but you go, you go teach, and you go baptize. The command is a sign of obedience. It's also a symbol of salvation. That's what Romans 6, 3, and 4 says. This is where we were today. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When I was saved at the age of 17, shortly after my salvation, I was baptized. And my baptism symbolized my salvation. Now, you're going to notice something. When I baptize people, you've, you've seen me baptize people here at Aloma Church. When I baptize people, I, I encourage everyone that I baptize to do something the same. I have them to cross their arms just like this. And I tell them in the back room as I'm prepping them, getting them ready to go to, to be baptized, as I tell them, I want you to cross your arms like this right here because what is this a symbol of? What is this a picture of, church? It's a picture of death. In the 1800s, again, out of necessity, the caskets were really small. Wood was short. So when they would bury somebody in a casket, they would fold their arms because this is the, the smallest space a human body will take when they're buried. So they would cross the arms just like this. And so when you're in the water, I, I encourage the people to do this because baptism is a picture of death. It's a picture of death. So we cross our arms, and, and the, the, the whole symbol of baptism, the picture of death, going into the water, going into the grave. Just as Jesus' body was physically placed in that grave, you go into that water. That water symbolizes the grave. It symbolizes the dirt. It symbolizes death. And then you come up out of that water symbolizing the resurrection. You see, that's the picture. Finally, it's a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. It's a seal, it's a sign, it's a symbol, it's an image, it's a picture, but it's also a statement of faith. When you're baptized, you're declaring to the world that you believe and you belong to Jesus Christ. I love what the little boy, the story of the little boy who was saved in Sunday school. Jimmy, he, he came to his Sunday school teacher and said, I pray to receive Jesus into my heart. And the Sunday school teacher said, Jimmy, that is the greatest decision you're ever going to make. And on next Sunday, I want you to go and I want you to tell the pastor what you did. You see, they were in this little small country church. And in this little small country church at the invitation, they always stood and they always sang the same, same hymn. The hymn that we grew up singing just as I am. Remember that? So Jimmy, little Jimmy, he went to school on Monday and he was worried. Oh, I'm going to walk in front of all those people. 
But my teacher told me that I need to walk forward. I need to tell that pastor that I've been saved and I need to get baptized. And he kept going over that because the teacher said, Jimmy, you go forward. You tell him you've been saved and you've been baptized. And so he went over that and over that. He was so nervous. He couldn't sleep at night. And when, when Saturday night came and he's getting ready, he can't sleep. He laid awake in his bed, looking at the ceiling, just sweating. I'm going to say I've been saved and baptized. They stand sing just as I am. I walk down and say I've been saved and been baptized. Well, the day came. The pastor preached the sermon, and sure enough, he said he prayed. The congregation stood. They started singing just as I am. Now it's Jimmy's moment. Jimmy stepped out from the pew where he was sitting. He came forward. He came to the pastor, and he said, Pastor, I've been saved, and I need to get advertised. <laughs> you know, that's good, isn't it? That's what baptism is. It's saying to the world, I'm a billboard. I am an advertisement for Jesus. That's what baptism is. You're saying to the world, you're saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I've been saved and I want to be advertised. It's a statement of the faith that I have in Christ. And because baptism is getting advertised for Jesus, it's coming out of the shadows, it's, it's standing up for Christ and openly confessing, saying, hey, everybody, I'm not ashamed of the Jesus who saved me. I want my family to know it. I want my friends to know it. I want my church to know it. I want my neighbors to know it. I want everybody to know it. That's baptism. It's being saved and then going and getting advertised. And finally, let's look at the motive for baptism. The motive for baptism. What would prompt a person to be baptized? What's the motive? Well, there's only one motive that's found in Scripture, and that is salvation. Again, I say that no person should ever come and be baptized until they know Christ first. My story was at the age of seven, I came forward in a... Uh, church there in Pigeon Forge, First Baptist Church of Pigeon Forge. At the age of seven, I walked forward. I never prayed to receive Jesus in my life. A week later, I was baptized. I really got wet. I was never baptized because I was never saved. I was just as lost when I went under that water as I was when I came up out of that water. Ten years later, a guy got a hold of my heart in Maryville, Tennessee, at a little small church there. I was saved, radically changed. A few weeks later, I was baptized there. You see, what we find throughout Scripture, what we find in our passage here today in Acts chapter 8, is the order that's always found. The Ethiopian eunuch prayed and received Jesus into his life, and then he was baptized. Cornelius and his household were saved, and then they were baptized. It goes on and on and on and on. Salvation first, and then following through baptism. The scripture and the scripture, the order is always the same. Believe, be baptized. Believe, be baptized. It's never reversed. That's why I challenge everyone that I can, get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. If you're sitting here today and you've never been baptized by immersion, following your salvation experience, then you're not following God in the most basic plan that he has given to you. You're never going to experience the blessings of God until you follow God at what he's told us to do. And it's not a suggestion, it is a command. That's what the Bible, this is not me saying it, this is the Bible. God's word says that if you've not been baptized by immersion, following that salvation, you are living outside of the will of God for your life. Christian, why are you doing that? 
You say, well, I was sprinkled or I was baptized as a kid and I came to know Christ at a later point in my life. Then why would you not follow through with baptism? Why? You see, you say, well, is that rebaptism? If I was baptized first, Pastor, when you were baptized at the age of seven, and then you were baptized at the age of 17, the baptism at the age of 17, was that your rebaptism? No, that was my baptism. The age of seven, I just got wet. The age of 17, that's my baptism. Baptism, by definition, is by immersion following salvation. There's some here. There's some here. And you're trying to understand this walk of life. There are some here today and you don't know Christ. You say, I want to be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. And it, it doesn't start with baptism. It starts well before that. It starts with the other baptism we started the service with, the baptism of the Spirit. In other words, you need to be saved. There are some here today and you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord. You've never invited him into your life. You never made him Savior and Lord of your life. And here's what the Bible says. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The Bible says that every human being on the face of this earth, from the fall of man and Adam and Eve, thousands of years ago, all the way until today, all the way through the future until Jesus comes, every human being is flawed. We have a sin nature. We lie, we cheat, we steal. It's part of who we are. And the Bible says that despite our sin, 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And despite our sin, despite my lies, despite our adultery, despite our murders, despite our sin, God looked through that, God looked past that, and he looked at each one of us, and he said, I love you despite all of the filth that's in your life. I love you despite all of it. He showed his love. He demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed that love. He put that love on display for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The bad news is that we're all sinners. The bad news is that if without Christ, we're all destined for hell. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus came. Jesus died Jesus took your sin and my sin, and there on the cross, he died. He, he became our sin, and he died. His body was placed in the tomb, and three days later, God breathed the breath of life, and he rose again, conquering our sin. The gift has been given. Anyone in this room right now at this moment can pray and invite Christ into their life, and you can be saved. Salvation begins with God, but God says, my desire is for all men, all women, all boys and girls to be saved. So you see, the good news is that no matter where you've been in life, no matter what you've done in life, God will wipe your slate clean. He will forgive you and he will save you.